Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Fastest Known Podcast. Talking with some of the fastest people in the sport today. We're talking with someone who's really fast. He holds a number of the most competitive FKTs in the United States, and he is one of our regional editors. Welcome, Jack Kinzel. Sweet buzz. Thank you. I really appreciate it. really appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you. Just to flash this one out a little bit, a regional editor is key. So obviously, people are submitting routes, people are submitting FKTs, and unlike Strava, where anything goes, you can just put up you know between two random mailboxes, everything on the Fast Gnome Time website is literally curated. Someone looks at it and verifies it, and one of those someones is you. So this is a big deal. I just want to you know let people know that much as we'd like Peter Backlund to be doing everything himself all over the world, uh, for the past year and a half, we now have 17 regional editors, uh, nine overseas and eight in the United States to break up this huge workload. So, Jack, thank you for being one of the volunteer regional editors. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing me to the team. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun doing it. Well, I, I hope you're not just saying that. Uh, so <laughs> no. let, good. Well, let's, get, let's go behind the curtain here. So what do you do? Just so people know, you know, people are submitting FKTs. You are one of the people who review them. Come to think of it, you are in the southeast area. So if you're in California, someone else reviews it. New England, someone else. But if you're in the southeastern part of the United States, well, all the way from uh, Louisiana up to Tennessee, it is you. So what Tell people what do you do? Yeah, so I um, I'm there also for the uh, for kind of Balkan states, kind of former Yugoslavia down there. Um, so basically, uh, we have a kind of a landing page on the website where we we manage all of the uh, routes and efforts that are submitted for our for our region. And so uh, I can just go in there and, and see what people have submitted. Uh, we get their GPX file, we get possibly their Strava or their Garmin Connect or their their Sun2 upload. Uh, we go through it, make sure the time is accurate, make sure the route they took is accurate, uh, and make sure the style is accurate. So um, a lot of it just comes down to the honor system, but looking through their trip report, um, any errors I've ever seen uh, have been have been purely accidental. I've I've never seen anybody you know cheating or misrepresenting what they're doing. Uh, but looking through their trip report, and often what I find is people will be um, unsupported, and they will have it listed as self-supported or supported because there'll just be a little bit of confusion. Uh, and then we're also just working with athletes to kind of uh, best present their efforts, uh, improve their trip reports, um, yeah, and get it get it posted posted on the site. So that's, that's, that's serious work. Again, fully curated. You review every aspect for accuracy and to kind of help them sort it out so other people can understand it. Cause that's the whole point. It's not just for their purpose, but lots of people go to the website and they say, okay, what's the fastest time here? And they want to be able to look at it, understand it. And so they can go apples to apples. Yeah, and uh, there are many times where I, where I haven't I haven't been to these exact routes. Um, I was based out of Virginia for a while. I'd run a lot of the stuff in there, but approving stuff down to Arkansas, Louisiana, I wasn't wasn't as sure always. And uh, a big part of what I do is try to the first thing I do is check the comments on Strava because uh, I feel if there's any inconsistencies, um, if there's any debate, that's where it's going to get highlighted first. 
um, see how people in the community kind of received it, make sure everything's kind of good to go to there. And then I kind of go from there, exporting the route they did into Gaia and typically looking, comparing it to the uh, file that we have on, on record on the website. So. That's serious work. I never heard that. That's clever. So Strava's become other than you know Map My Run. There's a lot of different uh, mapping websites, but Strava really is almost the default. That's very clever. So you look in the comments. If someone said you didn't do this or you cut the corner, you're, you're just going to read that and say, "Hey, Fred, you know it says here that you didn't finish the route. What do you have to say?" Because we don't just turn it back you will literally have a dialogue with a submitter absolutely yeah definitely um yeah and i, I think that's 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 important i think for people to know too uh that are that are doing fkts and are in the community where other athletes are doing fkts is uh that the regional editors are extremely responsive to the local community and um we're looking at those comments and and making sure that everything's everything's good to go and we're approving it so Wow. And that's a lot of work because you also said that you'll take the download the GPX file out of Strava or wherever, and then you'll load that up into Gaia and alongside the route that's on our website, the GPX file that's shown there and say, okay, are these basically lining up? Yeah. Yeah. Because a, a big, a big point uh, that makes it tricky is a lot of times you'll have trail closures, uh, you know, the routes, routes will change and just not being in that area. I can't, I can't be at the trailhead and check and check to see how each route has changed day to day. So um, it's when I see those, when I see things shift from the GPX, it's just important to kind of know why is this someone taking a shortcut or is this, is this the route being permanently changed? So then I can get those changes reflected on the, on the route page. So. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. So I hope everyone's quite, everyone's grasping this. That's a lot of work. And there's 17 people like you doing this type of work as volunteers. So listeners, just keep in mind that without people like Jack, this thing wouldn't be happening. So again, Jack, thank you. And a, a big, another big part of it is, um, which I personally don't do for the Southeast. I don't know if the other original editors do, but is, is route approval. Uh, Peter puts in an absolutely insane amount of work on the website going through. I think route approval is a, is a big part where there's a lot of extra legwork needed to kind of massage the descriptions and making sure the routes make sense. Uh, making sure that they best represent best represent an area, uh, and Peter Peter handles all of that uh, for for the for the southeast at least. Um, but yeah, that's another thing I think the regional editors are are also jamming on. So right, good point. And uh, as as we often have noted before, we can't be we want to be totally objective, right? We want this to be absolutely fair play, transparent, apples to apples. But when it comes to, is it an FKT route or not? Yeah, I can't really do that. <laughs> we'd, we'd like to have a numerical standard, but yeah, that's kind of hard to do. And I think that's kind of speaks to the FKT community to some degree that there's a certain aesthetic to this. There's a certain style to this, that while we'd like to make it fully ob objective, it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, uh, I think we saw over the summer with, with things like the PCT, it's like the, those with, with route closures and, and climate change and wildfires, it's like things are going to change. Um, and it's the, the site isn't, and shouldn't be set up to be a, a total democracy. And while community input is, is huge and is super important at the end of the day, the site has to make a call on, on how efforts go and how routes are shaped and, 
what routes get approved. And that's, that is, that is tricky. Uh, and that can be, that can be challenging sometimes. So. Well said, Jack, uh, the PCT was quite challenging indeed. And we're probably going to remove it as a premier route for 2022, just because it's likely the so-called original PCT might never be done again. We we're not sure. The other alternative there is simply to do a 2021 version and then restart it. Then there's the fastest time on the 2022 version. Uh, things like that could happen because wildfires, you don't really want to mess around with wildfires. No, that would, that would not be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you, as, as ultra runners you say, okay, well, we're going to be out all night or we're going to do the stream crossing or things like that. But wildfire, no, you don't outrun wildfire. Yeah, that's, that's no good. That's no good. So, okay. I think, I think if I only had a, if I just had one appeal to just the people out there submitting FKTs as a, as a regional editor, I think, uh, the only thing I'd say is just to make sure I, in my I, personal world, this would be as close to a race in terms of our, our kind of exactitude as possible. So, uh, anytime I do a record, I'd like to specify exactly where I start. Hey, I started touching the trailhead sign and I finished, you know, touching, touching the bridge at the other end. Uh, so anytime you can kind of bring that level of, uh, kind of preciseness exactly Hey, I summited this peak. Like, what did that look like? What exact? Where exactly is the highest point? Um, so that way, everyone, everyone, there's a it's a level playing field. Uh, everyone's competing on the same footing, and uh, we can really get precise with it. Because I think as FKTs get bigger, you, you have sponsored athletes, and you have actual kind of uh, money and livelihood coming down to it. And it's really important that uh, everybody is very exact with just like a, just like a race would be with with what they're doing out there. So. Wow. I like that a lot. That's a really good point. Um, just like a race, because uh, as you said, there's money in it now. Professional runners who get paid to run are doing FKTs and their sponsors are saying, okay, you're, you're in with us. And so you kind of have to take it to another level. And we certainly yeah. evolved the site. When we started the site, we didn't even require GPX files. Now we certainly do. But I really appreciate what you said about the start and finish, you know, because yeah. there could be little nuances in the trail. But my gosh, if you're starting at the edge of the pavement where it turns to dirt, just say that. Yeah. If you're going to yeah. a summit and there's a pole on the summit, say you got to touch the pole because yeah. it's getting, um, like I say, it's getting competitive. So let's keep it real here. And I, I think we're, we're definitely going to talk about this, but in the Northeast, the, a lot of these routes are so evolved that it, it comes down to a minute or two they're being decided by. Uh, and that could, that could come down to some really small little in, inconsistencies and differences in the route and, uh, potentially people going and, you know, off trail, uh, instead of staying on the trail and it could, it could really be decided by very little. So. Right. Excellent. Well, Jack, you have, uh, uh, good work as a regional editor. So thank you again. And oh, thank you. As you said, as a runner, the same thing. So you're, if I may say so, you're a young guy. You're fast and fit. It's all little bio will be in the written show notes. But let's say right now, 26 years old. So you're kind of at the peak of your powers. Would that be a fair thing to say? Uh, yeah, I have, I have, no, I have no clue. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I'm not a I'm not a very intuitive person, so I just kind of I just kind of like 
swing on everything and just kind of see what happens. And I'm not very good at doing kind of after action assessments of how I did. So it's just, however it goes. <laughs> swing at everything. That's excellent. <laughs> well, going back to what you just said, for a long time, for decades, the Northeast has been the most competitive. Right. Yeah, it's, I think there's so. There's no yeah, question about good. it. Yeah. Out west, people explore, which is yeah. which is kind of fun. I I liked uh, we had an FKT of the year award winner a number of years ago who did all the twelve thousand footers in Montana, which is kind of hard. You know, they're remote. You have to figure out the route. Well, in the Northeast, everybody knows the route. Uh, this is yeah. common knowledge. It's just a matter of how fast can you do it. So it's kind of getting back to the poor beliefs of fastest known times. And let's look at the Prezi, the fabled presidential traverse. And this, of course, goes over the presidential range in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And it's called that because, you know, there's Adams, Madison, literally the names of the presidents, and the highest mountain in New England, not the highest mountain in the east, is Mount Washington. And so the Prezi traverses over those summits. And look at who's at the top of the leaderboard here, Jack Kinzel. Nice work, Jack, set in July of this year. And as you just said, you improved the time by a little more than four minutes, which is actually kind of a lot for the Prezi because people don't mess around on this. I mean, it's not like... People aren't going out there going, oh, let's just see what happens. People are throwing down. Yeah. Um, the Prezi, probably my least favorite effort that I've ever raced in my life, uh, personally. Um, when I was when I was going to race up there, I, I was saying this is the last time I am ever gonna race in the whites because I just can't I just can't take the weather. The weather is just so <laughs> difficult to plan around. And uh that July I was doing it was the, I think it was the wettest July in recorded history, maybe the <laughs> wettest month period in Boston. And, uh, I was, I was, I was just absolutely torturing myself. And I went up there on like a Thursday and I was going to race it on, uh, you know, I'm trying to balance the wetness of the rocks, uh, the crowds on the trails, the winds above tree line, uh, the visibility above tree line. And then on a lot of these efforts, I'm also trying to get in there, like how much groundwater is, is flowing. And um, I was planning originally on doing it on Saturday, which I didn't love doing because the crowds. And then that weather window disappeared and it just kept disappearing, kept raining, raining, raining until Tuesday morning. I was just out of time and uh, I had to run it like in the in the drizzling rain. And it was it was just it was it was horrible. <laughs> and uh the, it was the day when all the the smoke blew across the country from the west coast, and uh, so I had, a, I had a horrible headache, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I checked the AQI, and it was like the PM two point five was like one hundred and fifty, and I was like, "Oh, one hundred and fifty in New England, <laughs> in New terrible. England, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> it was oh. so bad. Um, yeah, no, no good. Um, I, it's, it's just, it's funny. It's like nothing ever seems to kind of to go right on that effort. Um, Jordan, when he did it, he had the previous record. Jordan, I think he ran a 342 and I ran a 338. Jordan, he he made a wrong turn. That probably cost him. I mean, the, when I looked at it, it cost him about two minutes. But uh, I think he also probably went went really hard trying to make up for that wrong turn. So that probably affected how much time it took. But he had the wrong turn. I had rain. It's just like just nobody nobody can get it right, it seems like, which is just ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you're uh, not talking anyone into taking a quick <laughs> trip out there. I mean, this is July you're talking about. This is actually one of the nicest months of the year. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's nasty about it is like the Great Range. I love the Great Range Traverse. Um, the Great Range Traverse, I think of it, I have never done steeplechase, but I think of it kind of as like doing a steeplechase race. Like you have obstacles and, and terrain you're kind of running over and hurdling. And um, and then whereas the Prezi, I kind of compared it to like running like a 400 on a track that's like covered in marbles is what it's like. Um, it's just really, really just uneven rock and just rock that shifts around underneath you. And it's just, it's just, uh, whereas the great range is kind of like a obstacle course race. The Prezi's just, just kind of gnarly. Um, yeah, it would not be pleasant to take a fall in there. So, Oh, well, you're, you could say you're going to fall on a rock because that's all there is. And they're yeah. sharp rocks. It's they're not sharp. like these they're little really rocks. These are, these yeah. are, these are boulders. It's not like gravel. Yeah. I put up for, for each of these routes. Um, I tried to take them extremely intentionally uh, so the devil's path, I, I did not, um, but the, the Prezi, uh, and the great range, am I missing one? The Prezi and the great range, I spent a week, about three weeks prior and I did them every day. It's like seven days in a row, both the Prezi and the great range. Um, and yeah, because I just really wanted to get the, the technicality down, not have to worry about navigation, uh, be able to flow just really fluidly through the terrain. So I really tried to take it intentionally. Of course, in the end, it ended up, you know, I ended up having bad weather for the Prezi. Uh, for the Hut Traverse, similarly, I mean, the first half was the same as the Prezi, basically. So I, I didn't practice that one as much. But the second half, I, I did about three run-throughs. Um, but yeah, during that, on the Prezi, I, I fell and just like cracked my skull against a rock and was probably pretty concussed. It was not pleasant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, listeners, on your next vacation, bring the wife and kids out to the Presidy Traverse. But oh, let's back this up again. I mean, it's very nice. I mean, it's super classic, right? People have been doing no, this route for a yeah. hundred years, and uh, they. The, the, I think one of the oldest trails in the entire country is the Crawford Path. You know, coming out yeah. of Crawford Notch, I think that would be a fabulous race to do that. So th this has great oh, yeah. history. Yeah. This is no, it's it's. Yeah, it's it's fantastic history. Um, it's it's really really cool terrain. Uh, it's incredibly beautiful. But my my personal, I was I was I was pretty scarred after doing it personally. I, I wasn't I wasn't eager to ever go back and do it again. <laughs> and and uh, I don't want to speak for Ryan Atkins, but Ryan Atkins, uh, I believe, had it before Jordan, possibly, or maybe it was Lee. He, he had two before. It was going back with you, Jordan Fields, Lee, Ryan. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan also does not like the Prezi. So, oh. okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to speak for Ryan, but I believe that's what he told me. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, this is interesting stuff. And just to stick with it for a second, eighteen miles. That's a tough eighteen miles when it takes. You know, you guys were really, really working to get it down below four hours. I mean, just going after it to get it below four hours for eighteen miles. And then you look at the stats, 8,500 feet of vert. Yeah. And that, that really doesn't, that really doesn't convey it. I mean, as, as you know, like you could, you could have a runnable trail where it was, it was those stats and it would go, it would go so much faster. It's just, is there are sections that are, that are perfectly flat or just slightly downhill that you can't break 
an eight minute mile on just because it's so <laughs> it's so rocky and it's just absolutely infuriating. You're like, this cannot, you're doing it and you're like, this cannot be record pace. It's not possible. This is just, this is slow, so slow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like it. This is classic New England attitude. You know, out West, I think we're a lot more chill than that. But New <laughs> England, people aren't chill at all. And the mountain running scene is the same way. You know, a lot of the best mountain runners from, um, you know, Paul Lowe and on out have come out of New England. It's kind of this hard bitten, you know, those are cold winters, icy springs and short summers and people are ready to get, get on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, there's, it's great. It's great up there. It's awesome. I love it. So the, your other FKT is on the hut traverse, the hut to hut, as it's sometimes called, which is to me has logistical issues because the Hut Traverse does all of the AMC, Appalachian Mountain Club, huts in the White Mountains <clears throat> in a row. But it starts at one hut, which is not on a road, and finishes at another hut, which is also not at a trailhead. It's yeah. one of the rare FKT routes that we have. because We always want to start at, finish at a trailhead. But this, the Hut to Hut is super classic, so it starts and finishes at one of the huts. So that... But, I mean, how do you, what do you think about that? That's just kind of more of the same, isn't it? Yeah. I, so I think, I think the premier uh, route we have on the site is the Prezi. And I think it should be the Hut Traverse personally, because the, the Hut Traverse, I think uh, has a, has an even longer history of racing than the Prezi does. And it's, it is a fantastic, it is, I think it's, it's the greatest effort I've, I've ever done. It's so awesome. Um, yeah, it does. It does go over the Prezi, but the speed is like a little bit lower, so it's not quite as frantic going over those those technical <laughs> terrain. I believe it's it's like forty four miles and like sixteen thousand feet of gain, uh, and it just the two kind of big trail running kind of meccas in North in New Hampshire, the big trail running centers are kind of the Pemigewasset Wilderness and the Presidential Range, and the Hutcherverse really beautifully kind of just goes through both of them. Uh, it tags all of the all eight of the AMC huts, starting at Carter Notch and finishing at Lonesome Lake, and it's just it's just a lot of fun uh, hitting those huts. the The hut crew, uh, the people who work at the huts, it's it's a it's something that they do a lot. The hut traverse, um, and so they're they're supportive of anybody who's who's out there doing it, which is which is a lot of fun. But it goes over just some absolutely incredible terrain. Some and it, it hits a mix of the Pemi and the Prezi are are super busy, and then there's some trails that barely get any activity outside of people doing a a hut traverse. Um, to anybody doing it, I would recommend staying at uh, Carter Notch the night before, so you don't have that 1.5 miles, and like a thousand feet of, or three miles and 1,000 feet of gain to start the effort off. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's it's really really cool. Really cool. Probably, <laughs> probably, definitely my favorite effort I've ever done. So, oh, the hut to hut is okay. Yeah, right. yeah, for sure. All right. Well, the big three in terms of routes is that I like these abbreviations: the hut to hut, the Prezi, and the Pemi. Pemi Jawasset Loop, which is unlike the others, is a loop, which is yeah logistically much nicer, and it starts off pretty low. There's some flat running down along the creek there. And then it cranks up, and then it gets pretty technical going past Galehead. I mean, this yeah. is you're using your hand, you're literally using your hands. Oh yeah, not yeah, exactly time. to scramble, but it's dripping wet. It's mossy. It's just it's it gets real slow. Goes out on that ridge, and then it just bombs back down into the valley. So it, the Pemichuasset Loop has a nice mix of terrain. 
Yeah, the, the, the PEMI yeah, is very interesting for that because unlike any of these efforts, the PEMI has a good six miles of just really, really runnable fire road. Um, depending on how you cut it, it's it's either one at the beginning and then four at the end, which is how I did it, or the way Jordan did it, it was four at the beginning and then one at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's a couple points where it's in excess of 40% going up or down, and you're definitely there's some some serious potential to to mangle yourself if you fall down <laughs> some of these sections coming down Garfield there's there's a section where it's just it's just kind of exposed rock and there's there's there is water running through it is essentially you're going down a waterfall which is which is pretty impressive uh and then just lots of mud always and uh yeah it's a it's a it's a challenging very challenging route about i think it's about 10,000 feet of gain about 29 and a half miles uh, so okay all right. There's there's the big three up in New England. Of course, there's Mount Katahdin. There's Mount Monadnock, which is a famous mountain. So there's plenty of FKT in the Great Range Traverse. There's plenty of things up there. But the big three in the whites really are the Prezi, the Pimmy, and the Hut to Hut. And yeah. course, for the race, well, I have to ask you this, Jack. Have you ever done the Big Hill? Have you ever done the Mount Washington Road Race? No. Uh, I think this year was the first year I'd ever really thought about it. And I tried to register in... I don't Didn't know, get in, in in May or something. And oh. it, I think it fills up within five minutes in February. So, but like, I honestly, I don't think I would, I would, I would do that. Well, I mean, it's just like a uphill 12%, just crank on the road. I just, I don't think I'm super well suited for that. I think it'd be, it would be fun to go out and see it, but I think I'm just, I'm just too insecure to go out and just get absolutely just roasted by, by Joe Gray and by Lee or uh, <laughs> whoever's out there. <laughs> Well, Joe yeah. Gray would be one of them. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. But that's his specialty. He doesn't really like technical. And he, he likes the uphill only. Even in the world mountain running races, he prefers the uphill because it alternates years. Uphill only one year and uphill downhill. And he likes the uphill only. Jonathan Wyatt, who still has the record on yeah. the big hill, same thing. But you, you've got you – know, you, you're, you're complaining a little bit there about the Prezi, but you're good technically. You can do this. Yeah, the the big route in the in the northeast that I'm I'm really pushing for uh, is the uh, what we're calling like the the White Mountain 100 miler, uh, which is the 100 miles of the Appalachian Trail in the White Mountains. Um, and uh, I I wasn't aware. Uh, Christina Folkick, I think is, is how you pronounce her last name. She she did it back in I don't I remember if it was 19 or 20, uh, and she did it north to south. So starting at about up in Gorham and going south of Musilock. Um, I tried to do it. I wasn't aware of her attempt. I tried to do it south to north based on the way, uh, Andrew Drummond, uh, went. Um, and I just was just super wet out there and my feet just, I were just got, I mean, I think it was, it was emergent foot. It was trench foot. I never, I always like made fun of people who changed their socks and shoes out. And then I was, I was feeling really good. I was shooting for 24 hours and I was, I was on pace going up and over, uh, going up Washington and just my feet just started to hurt so bad. And I started to go down the Northern Prezies and I was like, Oh my God, this is just, this is just not going to work. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. It's, it would be by far the, I think the most technical hundred trail, hundred miler you could possibly create like 34,000 feet of gain. Uh, there's some serious, serious scrambling out there that you're doing. Um, I mean, on trail scrambling for whatever that's worth. And, Going up and over the the Kinsmans, which I'd never been on, which was super super steep. Coming down Musilock, super steep. Um, but I think it's got the potential to be 
a major, major US 100 miler. Um, because we really just, there aren't that many 100 milers that we have that are over 10,000 meters of gain. You know, there's um, Ure and there's uh, Hard Rock, but really I think that's about it. And this is, this is just an awesome route. And I think is very, would be a good substitute for someone, you know, looking to do something like UTMB. Uh, and, uh, I think would be very good prep for someone going to UTMB. Interesting. Uh-huh. <clears throat> now, when you say push it for it, so here it is on our website. Uh, like you said, 34,000 feet of vert. And by the way, as context, you know, the fabled, uh, um, Western States 100, which Carl Meltzer famously called the track race, <laughs> It's like 16 and a half thousand feet of gain. And so the, the Prezi, which is 18 miles, has half that. So in 18 miles, yeah. it does half the gain is the entire Western states. So here you are yeah. in UTMB and Hard Rock standards. I mean, those, yeah. those are the two yeah. biggies. I mean, Hard Rock and UTMB have you know virtually the same vert. And now the Appalachian Trail 100 has virtually the same vert at 34,000. Now, when you say pushy for it, do you mean to make it an official race or to put it more on the map for FKT purposes? Put it more on the map for FKTs, but beyond that, putting it more on the on the calendar for kind of bigger, bigger athletes. And and this is something I'm I'm really passionate about. I think there's a there's a tendency in the US to kind of look to the more mature european race scene and kind of see that as kind of a guide for how we need to shape our own scene in the u.s but um things are just so protected in the united states we're never going to have a race like utmb that goes around mount whitney or something like that a, a real actual race and i think that's why the the northeast fkt scene is so strong is because there's no races in the northeast that take advantage of this awesome terrain because it's all in wilderness areas so i think what the u.s athlete should not be going to europe to race to do to have to do mountainous races have to go to europe like there is so much good mountainous terrain in the united states but it's all in in wilderness areas and i think that these protections have even gone as far as to inform the races that do exist pushing them to areas where it's, it's more developed and there are you know it's on fire roads and and everything else so um i think you're always gonna have an issue there that there, there isn't the money there. There's not the the brand interest there. There's not the media interest there. And so there's not the elite interest there in doing these FKTs. But I think the FKT scene is really where U.S. competition should be. And I think an elite athlete's calendar should have a lot of races, should have a lot of FKTs on it. Um, and I think the Northeast example is kind of a good, kind of more mature racing scene where a lot of these efforts are, are so incredibly competitive. Um, and I think that that White Mountain hundred miler that is I, I you cannot create a better hundred miler on the on the East Coast. It's it's absolutely not possible. There's like both because um, there's there's protections that exist, and because it is just such an awesome awesome route. You're on the you're on the AT. You're summiting tons of four thousand foot peaks. Uh, you're going all the way from the bottom of the White Mountain National Forest down south, all the way to the to the northern edge of it, and uh, you're just you're just covering all this like awesome, awesome terrain. And there's tons of road crossings. You can get aid, uh, for the most part, every, every 10, 15 miles or so, uh, you could pull from the huts. There's tons of streams and because it's the AT it's, it's well-maintained and well-marked. Um, so yeah, I would love to see more us major, uh, elite interest in FKTs. 
Uh, and I think the more people that do them, the more competitive they get and the more worthy they become of, of racing, uh, which is which is kind of my hope. So, Jack, you've hit about five nails directly on the head. That was <laughs> that was that was quotable. That was uh, that was brilliant. Um, you said a number of things there that really, really caught my attention. The the interesting thing because I, I love going to Europe. I, I really like the steep. Right. I'm, I've always been very technical and unfortunately a little slow. But then what you're saying is that we have the train. Train is not the issue at all. The issue is getting permits. Yeah. These are in wilderness areas. And so, like you said, UTMB is just going around, you know, Ultra du Mont Blanc. It's going around the Mont Blanc Massif. And there's 20, 30 races of that nature out there that, you know, start in town, just run to the top of a mountain and crank back down. And we don't have that many. You know, we have Broken Arrow, which is, you know, it kind of goes up and down and up and down. It's sort of odd. And then we have the Rut. Rut is probably the closest as we can get. And we don't really have much in the Northeast, even though you have great terrain. I just have to mention Hard Rock because Hard Rock is terrific, but they let 145 people into it. And so yeah. you have a fabulous course and a fabulous heritage. But if you have 145 people competing it's not a world-class race. You, you, you can't say that because a race, sorry, I'm editorializing here, is a competition. It's it, who does it the fastest is a race. And if you don't have enough people in it, then you can't really have a great competition. So that's, uh, you made some really interesting points here, Jack. Yeah. And, and the thing is with, with hard rock that makes it doubly kind of challenging is um, they're, I, I believe that their their lottery. It's not they don't they don't award any elite spots, so elites can't can't build their calendar around it. And people, you know, if you're not a local and able to go and volunteer there, like, I mean, you could be on the even if you are a local, you are volunteering, you're getting those additional tickets. You could be on that list for years and years and years. I mean, uh, it's just it's just kind of crazy. I mean, you can't. That's not that's not a good uh, platform for competition. And then on the 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 other kind of piece, uh, Speed Goat. Broken Arrow and the Rut, kind of the big mountainous, steep mountainous 50Ks that we have, they're all at ski resorts. And it's like, with all the fantastic terrain in the country, we're going to run up and down a ski resort. Like, are you, I'm, I'm sorry, but are you kidding me? Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's, <laughs> that's really funny. Wow, Jack, this is, this is amazing. <laughs> I hope everyone else is appreciating this conversation as much as I am. But for example, another good example from what you just said is the U.S. mountain running team. So uh, we always do uh, the U.S. mountain running championships for selection for the International Mountain Running Championships, and they're always held at ski areas, always. And yeah. oftentimes you're yeah. running up access roads, and if you get lucky enough, you can run down the actual ski run, which means it's pretty steep. But like you say, it's they're non-technical. This, this, this is not technical running. It's not that interesting in a certain way. And the reason they do it is because they have the permit. So the North America definitely has great terrain, but you go to the ski area because they have the United States Forest Service permit to have people come there. And they have a parking lot that you can park in. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing I'm really, really into is like the comparison of, of trail running to climbing. Um, and uh, one thing I think that everyone's kind of seeing on the climbing side is just how the sport has gotten athletes get so specified, everybody's getting so specialized. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, maybe you had, you had athletes who were, they were climbing the Alpine, 
they were climbing uh, sport. Maybe they were doing a little bouldering, like they were all over the place. And then you had gradually trad and alpine breaking off, bouldering breaking off, and sport climbing breaking off. And then now it's like you have your competition sport climbers, you have your outdoor sport climbers, you have your alpine climbers, you have your, you know, trad, you know, kind of cragging climbers, uh, you have boulders. Um, and I think this similar thing is going to happen, happen with trail running and the European scene is, is kind of mountainous focused. Like a lot of their biggest races are, are steep over there. And, uh, that's, you know, the grand raid down a reunion that's UTMB, that's the golden trail series, but the U S scene doesn't have a lot of mountainous races. It's, you know, it's, they're, they're, they're decently, there's some decently hilly courses, but not really cracking that 10,000 meters that 15,000 feet per 50 mile, uh, kind of barrier. Uh, and so if people are want to see Americans compete on the European scene, it's, it's not going to happen if guys are training to Western States. Um, so. <laughs> right. Well, well, Killian, uh, famously or not so famously finished second at his first Western States, partially because he didn't drink any water. So he had to come back a second time <laughs> to put it in his win column. But Joe Gray said similar things to what you're saying. Joe was a little irked at this because, you know, here's one of the best mountain runners in history. Uh, he he There's a few yeah. things Joe hasn't won. And he gets a little peeved at the emphasis on the Euro scene because he says, you know, yeah. you go there and you're, you're competing with specialists in that terrain. And then if you, you know, finish third or fourth or something like that, the Euro press goes, oh, you know, Fred or Joe or Mary or Sue – didn't do well. You know, they're Americans. They can't handle it over here. <laughs> but if those people come over here, you know, they're going to finish third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh also. But we're going to kind of go easy on them. It's like we, we, we don't get so aggro on it. Because, yeah, like he said the same thing you did. Over here, in order to make money as a professional, you're doing a lot of different things. Joe was on the yeah. podcast, when was it? Six weeks ago. And then... I think five, four or five weeks ago, Max King. Max King has done the World 100-kilometer championships. This is you know, a flat loop on pavement, which he won. And then he's also doing the, the World Mountain Running Championships, which is this very steep 12-kilometer course. That's a broad, broad mix that's to huge. be successful at. But that's what you have to do. Right. That's yeah. what you have to do. While over there, you can just do this the steep technical up down and get paid. And if you're an elite, you gotta get paid, just to say it. Yeah, and, and I think athletes like Max are gonna get more and more unusual. I think that's that's uh uh just, just gonna become extremely rare to have someone who can compete just as the sport gets super specialized and people train specifically to uh you know, longer, longer ultras, longer mountainous ultras, mountainous ultras. Um, I think someone with such a huge range like that, it's just going to become very rare. So, yeah, well, it already is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Like Max is the only, yeah. sort of the only dude. Yeah. I think so. Max just finished second. Uh, where are we? Two weeks ago in the Moab trail marathon, which is the USATF trail marathon championship. Uh, so finishing second, and that, I mean, that shows a really broad range. But if, you know, who's going to come over from Europe and compete in that? Well, no one actually does. I like it, yeah. Jack. I like it. So you think, just to emphasize this, that we're not going to get the races. 
You know, it's uh, no, just, I, it just doesn't happen. No. You, you you go out there and lobby for the Crawford Path, which would be an extremely cool race, right? The uh, Crawford Path, I think, yeah. that was, I think that was literally constructed and named 140 years ago or something like that. But it's, it seems like gonna, the last time they did, yeah. It seems like the last time they did maintenance on it was 140 years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, that could be true also. But uh, <laughs> you're not going to get a race on that. Ain't ain't going to happen or any of the other uh, courses you're talking about. And so you're saying it's FKT. That's where the that's really what the races. That's what the courses really are. I, I think so. And um, I mean, to me, it's like I don't I don't go out personally and and run for the 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 crowds or the race environment or honestly, you know, for the I, I run I'll do all my runs basically by myself. Like I go out there to be alone in nature to kind of connect points on the map for the competitiveness. And uh, so to me, it's like it, it doesn't really matter if if there's a bunch of people racing next to me. Um, and I think the, the crazy thing about about doing races in the United States is is because the competition is is so diluted right now, it's like every time a race happens, people are, are going for the course record. It seems like elites are going for the course record. And it's crazy to go for the course record when a lot of times it just comes down to the weather that day. You know, how long was it since it since it rained? How wet is the course? How hot it is at Western states? Uh, how much snow there is on the course? And it's it's just it's kind of wild to me that, that that can really dictate so much of the competition. You could just have a bad year for for setting good times and it's like that's not that's not a thing with fkt it's like you you pick the day you pick you want to do it and it's it's totally free and it's it's awesome and um one thing that i think is kind of disappointing is like is is utmb with all these like sacred stones and all this other all this other bs to get into utmb and get into these (laughs) these major races and all this stuff you have to go to and the cost and the travel associated um and then when you when you show up to the race, I was talking to somebody who who did OCC, and uh, they said that they they got on a bus at like they woke up at like two a.m. We're getting on a bus at like three a.m. Bus to the start line. They're in lines on the climbs. It's like oh my god, I can't imagine anything worse than that. Like I don't want to. <laughs> otherwise, I don't want to start. I don't want to start a race at six p.m. I don't want to do UTMB and start at six p.m. That's just crazy to me. Um, so it's like, hey, you don't have to put up with any of this stuff. You can do do it exactly how you want to do it, which is, which is awesome, which is great. Right. Um, if you want to run with fifty three thousand of your fellow humans, enter the New York City Marathon. It only yeah, two hundred yeah. ninety five dollars, um, not including your three hundred dollar night hotel and your six hundred dollar plane ticket, et cetera, et cetera. But if you want to do that, do New York City. But if you don't want to do that, do the Appalachian Trail White Mountains 100. Dang, you're right. I'm just kind of going back to that. Christina Fulsick is, she's the only one I have listed. It's people listening yeah. to this podcast are right now furiously scribbling notes to themselves. I mean, here it is. Uh, it's great timing because right now it's uh, today's date when we're recording this is November 17th. It won't be re- be released for another 10 days. It'll be too late to do this this year. But they're going to yeah. say, okay, when can we get on the Appalachian Trail White Mountains 100? What do you think, June? Uh, yeah, I think your your holdup is going to be the last snow is going to be in the Prezi, um, which which sometimes can persist in July, but it would probably be so little that it wouldn't, wouldn't really even be a factor at that point. Uh, 
but yeah, probably, probably late June. Um, I think I'm, my, my plans change so much, but I think I'm, I'm going to, I have some unfinished business up there. Uh, definitely not going, I would South to North is net downhill, but don't let that, you know, sway <laughs> 30, over 34,000 feet of gain. And you have like a 500 foot net downhill. It, I guess it really doesn't matter all that much when you save the most technical part for like the very end. And if you're like me, you're doing it at like one in the morning, uh, with your feet falling apart, but it's, it's a, it's a very tricky course. I mean, I was, when I started it, I was, it was kind of wet. I almost considered kind of punting a little bit, um, through a couple of days, but my, my crew couldn't support it. So I kind of had to go for it. Now I wish I did. I did try to figure something out. It's the same as Joe McConaughey string bean on the, on the Arizona trail. It's like, you see him post holding through that snow. You're like, dude, what, what were you thinking? Why didn't you wait a little bit? Um, but, uh, I was, I was hopping around all like the little, like mud pools and, and, uh, streams and everything. And I was like, okay, maybe I can keep my feet dry. And I got to the bottom of the, uh, of Mount Mist, the foot of Mount Mist and Mount Moose Lock. And there was like a 40 foot stream that I had to ford. And so from that point on for the next 18 hours, my feet were just absolutely soaked. So for anybody doing it, I would just stage a bunch of extra shoes and socks with your crew. Um, so, so changing socks and shoes is no longer considered being a wimp. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess so. Or maybe I'm just a wimp. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a, uh, more accurate, but, uh, yeah, because it can just, it, it really, it really got to me pretty quick. Um, so that's certainly something, something that I learned is you just got to stay on top of the foot care, or at least well, I have to stay on top of it. No, I, I got you. You get, uh, your foot, your feet swell up. The epidermal layer swells up, creates these little whorls and which causes blisters, hard rock done uh, clockwise. You're fording uh, mineral Creek at mile two and a half. And <laughs> so it's like, Hmm. You got to decide what you want to do about that because two and a half miles in, you really want to get your feet completely wet. And there's no place to change after that. When I, when I last time I was doing soft rock, which means doing it not in the race, I just took off with my shoes. It's like, whatever. It's, it takes me yeah. four minutes. I just went across barefoot and put my shoes back on on the other side. Yeah. I think, I think uh, one thing that I'm going to do is just as I go through, speed goats just over the next before i start i'm just going to save all the shoelaces and then day of the day of the race just just cut the laces off because i tried to change shoes at one point and i i tied the laces so tight i couldn't get the shoes off uh so i was like <laughs> okay i'm just not gonna waste my time but yeah just i'm just gonna save a bunch of laces just so i can just chop all the laces off and just replace them after i'm done so <laughs> okay i don't know all right we'll this, is, this is efficient technique this is this is throwing down you don't have time to untie your shoelaces you just cut them off <laughs> okay this is good well what uh you gave us a good tip on what um fkt submitters should do which is watch the exact start and finish i don't miss mean start at the moose lock trailhead you mean you know start where the pavement ends and the gravel starts or at the trailhead sign really get detailed because it's coming down that close i appreciate that so what advice you're, you obviously have thought about this a lot you're an outstanding athlete what advice would you have for would be fk tiers whether it's people going to new england or just in general so i think uh just honestly like a, a ton of things that i i learned on this on this podcast and i think um 
all the time. I'll see people in races, uh, elites in races in hundred milers, you know, taking a seat at aid stations, sitting down, taking a time. And, and to me, that's, that's crazy. So I always set all my aid up so that I can, I can take it while I'm just moving through the aid station. I can just, or, you know, we're whoever's supporting me. Uh, and I can, I can move kind of quickly and fluidly through and not waste any time stopping and, uh, taking, taking time like that. I think another thing, one, one thing I noticed when I was doing the hut traverse, one problem that I had was I staged, I staged aid at the halfway point in like a, in like a bear hang. And, um, I tried to, originally I was just going to do a complete vest swap and, for some reason, I was really liking the new vest I was wearing. So I tried to switch all my aid over to the new vest. And that was like a absolute mess, like, cause I had all my trash in one pocket and I tried to pull it out and it just, it, it like a gust of wind blew it all over the forest. So I probably took about four or five minutes just picking up, picking up garbage in the woods. But I think the most important is just to be as efficient as possible uh, and really minimize the time that you're, you're wasting kind of, kind of sitting around and, and getting aid. I, I like to look at, um, all trails, or if it's on the AT, I look at gut hook and I see the status of all the AT water sources. So that way I know I can, I can fill out them. Uh, if it's on, if it's on, if it's off the AT, I'll look at all trails to see if, if water is, is flowing out there so I can get, I can fill out on the trail. Um, this is, all, this all is really that. detailed, Jack. I'm, I'm impressed. So gut hook on the AT because gut hook is the, yeah. is the through hiker website and it's kind of crowd, semi crowdsourced. So people are chiming yeah. in, which, you know, I saw a bear here. I, there's water there. And so you're getting up to the minute information, but only on kind of through hiker routes. Yeah. Only on, on through hiker routes. Yeah. So I would look there. Another thing I do is, um, I'll go and I'll search like a bunch of Instagram hashtags or I'll look at Instagram locations. So like when I was doing the PEMI, uh, I didn't have time to go up there right before. And so I just looked who had taken photos recently along the PEMI. And then I just like DM'd like 50 people and was like, hey, is the spring flowing here? Is there any ice on the course? You know, what is what does this look like uh, to try to get like really up to date information out there? Um, I think it's it's huge uh, practicing routes before you do them. Um I think it's, it's, it's very important just psychologically. I think it can, it can put you in a much better headspace, but also it can help a lot with planning. Uh, one thing I, I looked at a lot was the fact that Andy Anderson, when he set his records on longs and on the grand, he was in like into the hundreds of summits on each. And so I was like, wow, okay, I need to, I need to like take on some of, some of Andy's and Andy's techniques here and just try to get as many laps of these courses as possible before I go out and run them for speed just to kind of work on, you know, how each trail kind of flows and, and navigates through the terrain and, and how to best move through it. Um, and then I think the one thing that's very important, as much as I hate consumerism in the sport and how much money has become a part of trail running, I think it's extremely important to pick the right, the right footwear for each effort that you're doing. And that is something that I probably waste way too much think time thinking about is trying <laughs> to balance really just the three things I'm trying to balance when I'm thinking about it. It's just, weight cushion and grip are the three things that I'm, I'm i'm balancing and uh that can especially when you're racing something super technical on rock as, as you certainly know grip can be enormously important but when there's a ton of downhill like hey maybe when there's a ton of downhill cushion is is enormously important especially especially in the whites i i find that you're better off going with more cushion in the whites whereas in the great range i was going with more grip even though the terrain looks kind of similar 
uh, I found in the whites, things were a little bit more open. I could open up my stride on the downhill. I could really pound. Whereas in the great range in the 80K, it was more, things were just a little bit tighter, not as fast paced. Uh, and grip was just more important for some of the steeper, slabbier stuff. And then weight is, is, can be huge weight in, in shoes. And so when I was racing, I raced one effort down in Virginia, definitely the best, I think the best mountain effort down in the Southeast is the priest and three ridges down there on the AT is awesome. It's an awesome route. It's about 20 miles, a little bit less than 8,000 feet of gain. Uh, but yeah, I just went with some super, super light shoes for that. And I figure it was short enough. I could just eat, I could just eat the downhills a little bit as far as pounding on my feet. And there wasn't that much rock exposed rock. So I could, I could go with a little bit less grip and just go with something really, really, really fast that I can just, I could just rip on the uphills with. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I, think, I answered this oh, yeah. question. This is an outstanding response. This is, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm uh, probably other people as well are furiously scri- scribbling down notes. Um, oh, that's thank really you. good. Did you, ha- do you have a fifth? We had one, you know, quick in and out of the aid stations, by the way, I first saw this with Diana Finkel at hard rock when she won the women's a couple of years in a row and she would come in and she was using the, a camelback vest and a hundred meters out, you know, her, her pace would call it out. Okay. You know, here, here she's actually the run ahead, call it out. And she would run in, she would just hold it out. She literally would hold it out and they would, you know, hand her another one and she hardly broke stride. Like you said, just changed out the entire pack because if you try to change out, if you're using bottles up front, that's okay. But if you got a yeah. reservoir inside, that's not okay. It doesn't really work very well. This is good. Did you have a fifth bit of advice before I interrupted you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I one thing I noticed is nutrition is just is just super important, and it's not just you know grabbing whatever. Personally, for me, it's not just grabbing kind of like whatever is at a running store or something. I kind of tried a lot of different stuff to figure out what I really liked. Um, I find that on the shorter efforts, I can't do something that's like a chew, uh, like a shot block or like a, a goo chew or something because, uh, cause I'm just breathing so hard. I can't take the time to, I'm going to inhale it and choke to death in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to look like an idiot. So I really find that the gels and liquids are better for the shorter stuff just because it's easier to consume. Uh, and then just working to try to find what, what works best for your body, I think is, is very important. Uh, and then uh, I guess this is a little bit different, but I would work anytime I do an effort. And this is something I did not do on the devil's path is I would look like where, what style competition has been in, in the past and the website, certainly you can never make a judgment call on, on across the board on what style is best. And there are, there are tons of efforts, you know, especially longer ones where there is very unique competition that takes place in each style. But personally, I think on the, on the shorter routes, especially um, there typically is one style where competition is concentrated and I would focus on like in climbing, kind of trying to, trying to best represent the style, uh, and follow the style of those who went before you. So this is exactly what I, what I did not do on the devil's path because I thought things were moving towards supported. Uh, I thought a lot of these efforts would eventually go supported, uh, instead of, instead of self-supported or unsupported. And so, uh, Joshua Reed had run an unsupported. And I ran it supported, um, which probably wasn't the best thing, which was not the best thing to do because competition in the past had all been on the unsupported side and racing it supported really uh, was not a good comparison for to what athletes had done before. So if I could if I could do anything differently, I would have I would have ran that unsupported 
uh, versus supported. Um, I like that, Jack, because sometimes yeah. we get this certain sense, maybe you have as a regional editor as well, we get people writing in asking questions about, will this count as supported, will this count as unsupported, et cetera, et cetera, kind of fine-tuning it, which is good yeah. questions, but you sometimes get the sense that they're looking for the opening. They're, lo- they're looking for the yeah. soft spot where no one else has been. And you're saying the opposite. You want to go where everyone else has been. So if people are doing exactly, this yeah. unsupported, that's what you're going to do. If people are doing it supported, that's what you're going to do. You want to go where the action is because, again, it is supposed to be the fastest known time. And so while it is fair to try to figure out what someone else hasn't done, <laughs> you yep. know, it also is kind of part of the ethic to become a better runner and try a little harder and do what other people have done a little faster. Yeah, and, and the, the example I always I always think of when I'm thinking about this is the Priest and Three Ridges down in Virginia. So basically, it's a it's a loop and an out and back that's split by a road in the middle. And uh, Neil, when he raced it, Neil Gorman, when he raced it, he did it self supported. He staged aid at the crossing, and he that was his one aid pickup. And Michael Debova, when he raced it, he did the exact same thing. He staged aid at the crossing, and then he raced it. And then when I raced it, I did the exact same thing. I, just stage eight at that crossing and I raced it self-supported. So it's like, that is, that is where competition is concentrated for this effort. Uh, and I think anybody racing it, if they want to set an FKT on it, should be looking to go where, you know, the three of us have raced in the past. Uh, and it would, it would totally be within, within the site's rules to go out and to do it, you know, have people pacing you on the course or something or staging eight all over it. I think it, it doesn't, it's not the best comparison. I think athletes should look to what people have done before and try to best emulate that so nice wow excellent advice we're going to put this in case everyone people might have not have scribbled notes as fast as i did we're going to put these six bits of advice in the written show notes in case you want to refer to them later but this is good stuff jack this is really good uh regarding nutrition you know Iliad kipchoge and my son actually are using morton's you tried that? It's yeah. this uh, very yeah. expensive kind of weird jello thing, but people have used it. have really liked it. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I, yeah, that's what I use for everything. Okay. The truth comes out. Yeah. 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 I really like Morton. Yeah. <laughs> right. Big, big okay. Morton fan. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is good. Well, uh, as we always do here, I'm going to ask you what's coming next. Uh, of course, winter is upon us. So are you going to keep running? Do you do some racing over the winter to stay in shape? Or what are you thinking? Uh, so right now I'm kind of splitting my time uh, uh, 50-50 kind of so far between kind of schema and running. Uh, I think uh, running is, is certainly my long-term main focus, but uh, I do I do enjoy uh, a little ski mountaineering. So I think I'm going to try, uh, I mean, who knows, like, my my training and and interests like change every 15 minutes or so so uh i don't want to pre-spray too hard but probably uh some some schemo kind of schemo fkts aren't listed on the site right now but some some schemo records on some stuff uh out west and then uh hopefully the whites 100 uh next summer and maybe another 100 mile effort maybe another shot i'm thinking about doing another run at the hut traverse because I think that could that could have gone a little bit faster. So um, hmm. nice. Yeah. I like it. Well, schemo, of course, is super aerobic. I mean, this this is power. So after you've done schemo, yeah. I mean, going up the initial climb in the Prezi will seem casual. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was amazed. So I, I spent the last week on Shasta. And then yesterday I went for the first run uh, I'd done since since skiing for the week. And just like the turnover, just going uphill. I was like, oh my God, this is just, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like hiking all day with like a 40 pound pack and then taking it off at the end of the day and running around. It was just, it was just crazy. I was like, wow, this, is, <laughs> this feels really good. <laughs> well, you recently got out of the Navy. So we thank you for your yeah. service very much. And we definitely thank you for your service with fastestknowntime.com. Again, the, <laughs> I want, I can't say this enough without the regional editors such as yourself, this wouldn't be happening. So we really appreciate you, Jack. Oh, thanks, Buzz. Yeah, that was, yeah. thank you for having me on and bringing me onto the team. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm going to call out what you didn't for next is you are going to become a coach with uphill, uphill Athlete. For I happen to know what this is. Other people might not. But this is founded by Steve House, who makes the rest of us look like total business. I mean, Steve House is, of course, a, is a, is a big mountaineer and a total hard man. So you're going to become a coach for uphill athletes. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's right. So I, uh, uh, I love, uh, so I, I built all my training off of, uh, uphill athletes, uphill athletes book. Um, and, uh, they're, they're training books. And so I've, I've, I've always been a big fan of them and of their podcast and of their website. And what I, what I really like about them, uh, versus other training companies is kind of the free resources that they put out there. Um, pretty passionate about that, making it accessible to people who may not necessarily have the money to afford the coaching. So they have a ton of stuff on their website. That's totally free. Their podcast is awesome. Totally free. Uh, and their books, you know, 25 bucks or so. And that's what I built all of my training off of. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great company with some really fantastic people working at it. And I'm, I'm super pumped to be part of the team over there. So We'll put a link to that in the written show notes. And speaking of free, this podcast obviously is free also, although nothing on the internet is actually free, is it? As followers of the Facebook saga have noted. I mean, there's nothing free on the internet. So if you like what you're hearing, please go to the show notes and be consider becoming a Patreon, consider making a donation, rate us on Apple iTunes, because ratings help other people find us and it helps us continue to do this. Thank you very much for listening. And Jack, thank you again for your work. I look forward to seeing you again in person. 